0: (laughs) hello and welcome to episode 86 of can we still be friends a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality i'm nate goss here with ryan Evelyn. Well, the skeletons are hung by the mailbox with care, and even though there's no hope any trick-or-treaters will be there, tis the season for our seventh annual Holiday Spooktacular. As usual, in the spirit of the holidays, we're watching a horror movie, and this year it's The Babadook, written and directed by Jennifer Kent, a movie that shows that sometimes choosing between letting some horror demon monster thing dwell in you and putting up with your bratty kid for another day is actually a toss-up. We've both seen The Babadook, but we wanted to see if its scares hold a candle to the dread of opening your newsfeed in 2020.
1: The Babadook was Jennifer Kent's first feature film, and most critics were impressed with her command and her ability to build tension and dread without a lot of flashy tricks. As with most horror movies, it wasn't really an awards contender, but for a low-budget Australian horror film, its $10 million box office is respectable. The Babadook was a fresh blend of throwback horror and insightful storytelling in a genre that can often tread well-worn territory. But does that mean the Babadook is actually good? Or is it better that we ignore the creepy phone calls and the prophetic pop up book and get on with our lives? Fire up the ghoul log and keep listening. duk
0: duk
1: duk We might eat another one tonight,
0: eh? But you said I could choose.
1: This is what he wears on top. He's funny, don't you think? See him in your room at night? <gasps> Mom, does it hurt the boy? Mom, does it live under the bed? And the sales not to be afraid. That is Essie Davis uh, as Amelia reading um, the, the the book. The book, Mister Babadook. It's not the Babadook. No, it's Mr. Mister Babadook, which more formal uh, probably would have would have um, made a lot more money if uh, they had gone with that title, Mister Babadook. Too, yeah. yeah. It um, reminds me of like Mister Belvedere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe that's why they didn't.
0: <laughs> Such a global phenomenon this, they didn't this, want it to be but, mistaken this butler monster
1: yeah, yeah right well he is i mean
0: yeah i mean it's not too far yeah. that maybe that was oh, the idea man
1: we got to dig into that we should have looked into that what are the connections um but anyway they're reading the 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 pop-up book that ends up uh, bringing this terror into their lives so,
0: uh, Ryan, happy holidays! Happy to you. Happy holidays to you this as is, well. This is a wonderful, a spooky ho- evening to you and yours. That's right. Yes, um, it's it's a perfect night
1: for yeah. a spooktacular. I think. And like we said last time, we're celebrating, and this is uh, this year's spooktacular is a formal. That's right. Yeah. And so you're
0: look, looking good.
1: Thank you. Uh, you, you are too. Uh, yeah, I know. The we, top we, hat though is freaking me out.
0: Well, and I noticed that you hung yours up to get the headphones on. I did. yeah. So you know, I understand that. But I am feeling a little silly right now, being the only one in the room with the hot, with the top hat on.
1: But it but the isn't fact silly. That, it's I, I feel silly. But I, I just visually, it's reminding me of the Boba Duck, and you don't like
0: that. Yeah. me. Out. Is it reminding you of Mr. Belvedere at all? the
1: the the the, the ruffled
0: shirt. Yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's what I was going for. So. Glad it's, it's working. Good mashup, yeah. So this is the seventh Spooktacular, and seventh, we would, yeah. I would, I would invite our listeners to uh, maybe go back if you want and go through those archives and really celebrate the holiday. Yeah. The holiday, you know, it, it's all month. This is oh, the yeah. ho- this is the holidays. This is the holidays. Yeah,
1: spooktacular. The, yeah, the season.
0: It's tis the season. Tis the season. So it's a season. It's not a night. It's not a day. Nope. It's it's the whole season here of spook- yeah. spookiness.
1: Maybe a little visit from the ghost of Spooktaculars past, and the, yeah, uh, we were talking the first the first holiday Spooktacular, which we. We didn't name it that at the time. No, we were young. We um, didn't know what we were doing, but we, um, we did a uh, Texas chainsaw massacre and we're both still a bit still <laughs> traumatized. still spooked, <laughs> still spooked, spooked. Yeah. I think maybe, maybe turning it into the spooktacular was a way to, um, soften it a
0: little bit. Yeah. Or to
1: own the trauma. Yeah. Um, but we don't want to forget the reason for the season and that is horror movies. But I, so I don't know if it's, I don't know what it is. Uh, I feel like every year I get more and more afraid to watch a horror movie, hmm. and I don't know why. And I, I I, know that as a kid, I've talked about this on the, on you know, holiday spooktacular, you gather around the fire, you tell the same sort of yeah. stories. Mm-hmm. There's tradition involved here. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, I just remember as a kid being so freaked out by uh, the, the, the horror movie displays in our local video stores. That's and right. Yes, we've talked about that. this quite a yeah. bit. Yeah, like uh, specifically, there was a Candyman uh, display that had a mirror mm-hmm. and invited you to say Candyman five wow. times. Yeah, I, I, I didn't do it. I had no idea what it meant, but it scared me. Those video stores—they really did it up back then. Oh man, with the, the horror,
0: with the horror area. Yeah, yeah it was with
1: like, a, like a, kind of like a cemetery arch yep. entrance into that area. And uh, I know exactly
0: what what vibe you're getting because I had that same experience when you're a little kid. You know, for those of us who are kind of our age, 30s or so, and you're a little kid and you're just walking through that store, it's like the horror section was in its own area Mm -hmm. and you felt it when you walked in that area. All of us, even if there wasn't displays, you're just looking at The the
1: air felt more humid. (laughs) Right. It was like a popcorn y, cigarette y kind of (laughs) plastic smell.
0: At least in my video store, it was kind of right next to the curtain area. You know what I'm oh, talking about? It? Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, I was never... If our video stores had curtain areas, I was not aware of them. Oh, okay. Ours certainly did. And uh, the horror
0: films were kind of right in, in their corner. They're sort of in the back corner, which was also where the curtain area was. <laughs> so it was kind of like, not only were you scared by what you saw, but there was that feeling of like, should I be here? Mm-hmm. Like, am, is, my, is it okay that I'm even here? Yeah.
1: yeah. And so I, 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 the only thing I can liken my apprehension to watching a horror movie... That's happening is that feeling so i don't know if it's because i have uh you know my oldest is four and he's more aware of stuff more aware of like what scares him and those Mm -hmm. sorts of things and i'm just so hypersensitive to when we're out and even when people have halloween decorations up like is this too scary for him and you know um so I don't know if I'm seeing the world through his eyes more, and I'm being kind of transported back to that feeling, or if as I'm getting older, I just don't really enjoy the feeling of a horror movie. Sure. Especially, yeah. I mean, the the, Babadook, the Babadook's different because I've seen it, but an unknown entity. Yeah,
0: a lot of horror is kind of like putting yourself in the place of the person who's being tormented or mm-hmm. scared, but. As a parent, I think you do that all day, every day, oh, anyways. Yeah. Like you're always seeing the world through your kid's eyes and wondering, like, how are they seeing this? Is mm-hmm. this gonna be okay? Can they handle this? Can, mm-hmm. And I think that's taxing yeah, on you're our minds. Constantly afraid for someone <laughs> exactly. else. Exactly that constant filter that I'm putting things through. I feel like it it spills over into other areas yeah. of my life, even if I'm not aware of it. Because yeah. I get what you're saying. Where like it, it's definitely different now. Watching a horror movie. So I think this is actually a good segue into The Babadook because it's a lot of what we're talking about is mm-hmm. specifically that sort of domestic horror, that sort of dealing with parents and children and families and trauma. That's all wrapped up in this movie. And it, I think it does have a lot to do with, you know, what my feeling was watching it this time. So uh, we should probably get into that. Yeah. So you've seen this
1: A couple times. A couple times, okay. I think I just saw it once by myself, and then once it was the season, and Kelsey hadn't seen it, (laughs) and I was like, oh, this one was good. And so I I watched it again. It wasn't, um, yeah. Do you remember what was the reason you watched it
0: the first time? Was it because you just heard good good stuff about it? Yeah, like there was a lot
1: of... If In certain circles, there was a lot of buzz. I think film critics were critics, critics really, really loved, loved this it. movie. In yeah. fact, I
0: think if you go there even now, I think it's got like a ninety seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that.
1: Well, yeah, it was just everybody was everybody was talking about it, and um, I really did like it when I first saw it. It was effective, and I thought it was unique. And I don't think subsequent viewings necessarily make it better or worse necessarily,
0: right? Okay, so do you know, uh, before the rewatch, where was your letterbox
1: rating at, out of five stars? Uh, it was a four-star movie for me. I Four stars can mean many different things, but in this situation, it was uh, a movie that's a cut above, and I enjoyed it pretty well, um, and would would recommend it.
0: I mean, that's, yeah, four, four out of five is at least, uh, I really like this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, when you put it that way, I don't know. Really like, I, I yeah, I, I really like this movie. It's you know four stars. You better really like the movie. I wouldn't say re I really like that movie. I would say like, oh yeah, I really like
0: that. Okay, you know the the, the emphasis on the really is a little different in yeah. how you're saying it <clears> than, throat> than throat> how I would say it.
1: I mean, I saw it more than once and wanted to. You know, like I, I wanted, wanted to, to see watch it more, it than, more than, than once. once.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, that bodes well for it. Right. So yeah, I've I've only seen this movie uh, once before the rewatch for tonight's episode, and um, I was kind of same as you. I just I had heard good things about it. Basically, I might have heard good things about it from you. I don't really remember. I know for sure I heard about it on the film spotting podcast because Josh Larson like loves this movie. Oh yeah, uh, who's one of the co-hosts of film spotting, and so it was just one of those. I think I actually just it was sort of like that end of the year where you're catching up with what people were talking about right. that year, and so I grabbed the um, Babadook from. A library and, and watched it, and I think I watched it. Yeah, I watched it alone, um, and I liked it. Okay, it was. I mean, to me, it was like I. It was. It was. It was a good. It was a good, solid horror movie. It, it wasn't like one of my favorites or anything like that. Um, it wasn't going to become one of my favorites, as far as I knew when I watched it. Um, but I liked it enough. It was good. So I think if I went to um, Letterboxed, it was uh, three and a half stars is what I had it rated at before the rewatch. So that's kind of where I was at. Um, do we want to talk about uh, where we're landing re-watch. before we jump into the discussion? Just sure. uh, yeah. where, where you're at after the rewatch?
1: Yeah, I mean, okay, so has kind of been the case lately. I feel like I won't know until we talk about it. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't like this time I was like, I saw a bunch of flaws or I liked it less, but I don't necessarily feel like I need to see it again mm-hmm. after this time but
0: that's okay Because, um, but I mean where would you as far as just if we're talking about like horror movies
1: yeah I mean I, I, then I'd keep it for like okay. it's not I think it, it it still spooked me out there's a uniqueness to it there's an effectiveness to it that hasn't necessarily worn off on me so there's no reason for me to drop it I don't think
0: yeah okay so four, four out of five so it's not really changing much no. for you what about you I, um, it's not really changing much for me either, but I, I might just put it at like a three for Standard me. Three. I, I, I don't have a strong dislike for this movie or any sort of passionate feeling about like why yeah. I need to have an ax to grind. Yeah. But I don't particularly like it either. Hmm. Um, and I'm still trying to wrestle with why that is. I think our conversation. I'm hoping to kind of tease that out a little bit. Let's see, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't want it to become like let, let's go through all the flaws and figure out which one is the one that's getting to me. But like, I'm willing to just put the fault almost squarely on me. I don't think I'm in a good place for this movie at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think personally, I'm like, there was no way I was going to like this movie right now. Interesting. You know? Do you know why? I kind of do. It hits in a in a way. The simplest, most concise way I can put it is. I don't find it incredibly scary, it just stresses me out, oh, yeah, it definitely does that and it and and so because uh-huh. I don't feel like it actually terrifies me much or gets me those scares that I'm looking for, I mm. just feel like I don't like the feelings this movie gives me, and that's that's weird to say for a horror movie because you know. A Horror movies not supposed to make you feel great. Yeah, it's not right. a feel good movie. <laughs> yeah. so, but but what I'm looking for in a horror movie is usually I want it to kind of shake me into something, and I want to leave being like, "Who that was? That was thrilling, and that it was, was kind of it was kind of worth fun. It, it was yeah. kind of fun." And and this one to me is not it's not I don't find it fun.
1: I agree, actually. And,
0: <laughs> and it does have a lot to do with me watching it now. Yeah. As a parent, I yeah. was a parent when I watched it the first time. But really. But young. here's the thing. This is a boy who's six. His birthday is going to be—he's going to be seven in the movie. My boys are going to be seven tomorrow.
1: <laughs> so a little too close to it's home. It's way
0: too close to home. And the other way, it's too close to home is that domestic stress, yeah, which I am feeling because I am doing e-learning yeah, right, right now, and that well, that that, <clears throat> that tiredness and that—and mm-hmm. I know this is what the movie's going for. So in, in, in a way,
1: way to go. I, I applaud you it. in yeah. that.
0: You nailed it. I don't want to do it. <laughs> Yeah. I don't want to sit through this. No, we, just
1: like, like the the dread of morning being yeah. another another trip through that day.
0: I mean, and we can go through mm-hmm. the
1: things this movie does
0: great, and Essie Davis is she's phenomenal, is phenomenal in this mm-hmm. movie because I have been there. Like when she's just laying in bed and she just breathes when that kid comes in. Yeah, I'm like, I've done that. That like is I, that's so, I, it's, it's, when it's, she just kind of exhales, like "God, I'm so tired." Like, go away,
1: please go away. That's it's and again, that's the movie is so effective at it because it triggers, it triggers <laughs> parents. <laughs> Maybe that's the best word for it. This movie is
0: triggering to me, but it's also you know? like
1: so. I think that there's uh, yeah, there's there's like metaphors and layers to to dissect a little bit, but it's also like. That is interesting. That one of for me the most like, oh my gosh, moments in the movie late once the Babadook has kind of taken over and everything, is when she's in her room and the door just opens. Mm. Like all that that's all that happens. And it's funny, maybe, that there is dread in both situations yes. where she is laying in bed and he just hears a door open and in the end, it's scary because you're like, that's the Babadook. Right. But in the beginning, it's scary because it's her kid and she hasn't been able to sleep. And so uh-huh. the buildup, where we're what's being established is her time with her son and just how draining that kid is. Yes. And man, that kid is he is a he's awful. He's a bratty kid, and is so the, the actor Noah yeah. Noah Wiseman is great at like <laughs> shrieking and has a voice that just like. Oh my gosh. And when her sister Claire is like, I don't want to be around your son anymore. It's like, neither do any of us. <laughs> but also this. neither does she really, yeah. but mm-hmm. she doesn't want to admit that. And that's, so that's and, part and of And that's the one thing
0: I do appreciate about the, about the movie is the way it it plays with that honest feeling of a parent. Now, someday, I don't know when, someday my kids might listen back on this podcast. So I want to make it very clear that I do love them. Yeah. But I know this was like, one of Jennifer Kent's main purposes was to be honest about the fact that sometimes you just don't really like your kid that much. And that's something that I think adds this level of shame to mm-hmm, the movie mm-hmm. that I don't see in a lot of horror yeah. and maybe that's what I'm uncomfortable with. Yeah. Is is the fact that like I'm feeling shameful in resonating a little too much with this movie. Like Well because the character's feeling shameful too. Exactly. And that whole shit, you know, a lot of horror of this type, where it's a monster movie or a slasher flick, even a lot of it's just survival right. and it's instinct and it's what am I going to do now to get out of this situation? And even though we always joke about these people, like they're so dumb, don't go in that door, or whatever, there are little decisions like that that are dumb. It's not who they are right. that is the problem, mm-hmm. and the pro. And this movie is really saying the feelings she's having are part of the problem. You know, Mm -hmm. that's where the shame is coming in and the horror is coming from- Inside the house. (laughs) Inside the house, yes, but also just her struggle with what to do with that feeling. And that feeling is only compounded. And I've been there. It's compounded by exhaustion. Mm -hmm. The more exhausted you become, the more shameful you feel about your own emotions. And you also are like, but these are my emotions. I can't help them. Yeah. (laughs) Well,
1: and this movie is a little bit too real for 2020 because it gets to the point where he's not going to school and she's not going to work. Yes. And the fact that they're in the house together 24 hours a day is like an escalation in the movie. When that happens, when, when you kind of... I mean it doesn't like happen happen but like when you realize he's just gonna be in the house she's just gonna be in the house then it like increases this tension that's already been present Mm -hmm. so there's definitely something to watching this movie in 2020 that's like oh man we
0: didn't think of it when we picked this movie but honestly i can't think of i can't think of a better horror movie to watch that addresses the emotions that i've been feeling well since march when we've started the quarantine but especially heightened when school, Once started. school started and the dread set in of like i'm never getting away from I'm these the kids break. i am not getting away from the, the, and they're not I, getting away I, and from they're not me getting from, yes no no that's true and also like the little moments that she does get to herself you want them so bad for her yeah and i've been there too where it's like i i mm-hmm. i am so looking forward to seriously just driving to my one shift at work yeah you know like i get to go into work twice a week. Yep. And I look forward so much to that commute where I'm just gonna be by myself. And she gets a couple moments like that and they're always interrupted. Yep. And that's where I'm watching this movie and I'm like, I don't I can feel the tense in my body. Like this is killing me. And it never releases. And I'm just like uh, ah I don't particularly like release in that way at (laughs) all.
1: No. So at the same time though, that is much credit to the movie Mm -hmm. and to Jennifer Kent. Like she from the moment the movie starts starts building tension and dread and one of the things that i think is so good about it is that the dread is really mundane so like maybe before i was a parent when i saw this i didn't fully i i got like whoa what an annoying kid but i didn't connect <laughs> so fully with like oh man yeah, I, I, I know that feeling of waking up in the morning. Not like, I do not have to worry about them fashioning weapons mm-hmm. or like <laughs> right. doing I don't anything either, like yeah. that. Like, I do not experience that dread like that. But say I'm used to having alone time in the morning before my kids get up. And if I'm like making coffee and I hear one of them get up, I'm Happened like... Happened this morning. No. Let me tell you. give me give Happened me. this yeah, morning. Yeah, of course. It happens most mornings. So that's definitely I can totally understand what you're saying that that and I felt that too that watching it was not enjoyable because it was not any sort of release or escape it was just kind of compounding um and uh the the only relief is that that kid is not our uh, any of our kids <laughs> right.
0: and I don't know though I don't know that we want to jump to the ending so quickly but it it's a big key to what I think ultimately gives me a feeling of letdown in the movie is that you don't even get the sense of catharsis that you get in most monster movies or slasher movies of like at least this monster has is has gone vanquished it's been vanquished where we figured it out yeah and i think that that's you know to the movie's credit because the movie is dealing a lot more with issues of like how you face your own trauma how you yeah. face your own grief grief and it would be a cop-out to yeah. just slay it at yeah. the end. You yeah. know? So that's to the movie's credit. But, uh, but again, going to like my experience watching this, there's just tension, build, tension, build, tension, build. And then it's just kind of like, and then we have to live with it.
1: But then also you can live with it. <laughs> she can. I'm stuck here with the end of this movie.
0: Good shot.
1: Look, there's another one. Where's your ball? Wow, you've got a lot today. Am I ever going to see you? One day, when you're bigger. You go outside, and you don't come in until I tell you. I think the Babadook is certainly, obviously, metaphorical. And is working at those deeper levels that is fairly profound because Mm -hmm. the Babadook represents so many of her demons, for lack of a better word, and ones that are very, very common. It is, for her, specifically the trauma of losing her husband, especially losing her husband on the day that her son was born. Right, right. And she never celebrates her son's birthday on the day. Like It worked to celebrate with his cousin, and that's why she did it on the surface. But of course, it's because she couldn't. And she didn't know how to deal with it. And how could you, when all of a sudden, the day that you have to take care of your child for the first time is the day that you are without your partner? And unimaginable. It is. And how could you deal with it and be a parent at the same time? I mean, in in its in a way, becoming a parent is traumatizing in its own way because no one prepared you for it, even if, like I was a teacher, so I've worked with kids and whatever. and yep. Andrea's a teacher. She's worked with kids. yeah, my wife, yeah, totally different. yeah, your wife. totally different. You are in survival mode. there's yep. there's a horror movie aspect to oh, there it is where okay. you're like, we have to keep this get a lot. Yeah.
0: That's part of the idea of like even like something like Rosemary's Baby, you know, right. is, is yeah. kind of playing more around with that sort of like that newborn feeling. And this is in here. This is in the babadook as well. Yeah. Even though you're dealing with a six year old, but it's sort of you're understanding yeah, it's, it's a carryover it's, that back starts. Back, yeah. yeah. It starts all the way back at the birth, really. Yeah. yeah. And
1: so she was never able to take care of her, her own trauma and her own grief. It doesn't seem like she's got a great support network or that anybody remained connected to her through this whole thing. And Add to that the shame of is my grief pushing people away? Is my inability to deal with this pushing people away? And is my inability to deal with this infecting my son somehow? I've got this weird ass kid who's making weapons and can't sleep and sees monsters and all this stuff. How much of that is my fault? but not dealing with it and just pushing it away and pushing Mm -hmm. it away and pushing it away. Well, because what
0: other option do you have? Right. I've considered myself a a reasonably mentally sound person. Sure. And um, being a parent just threw me, like really bad, (laughs) really bad. And I remember, this is how naive I was before we had kids. I mean, this is almost funny. I remember saying to Andrea, you know, in in college and even after college, like I would – I'd pull all-nighters all the time. Like, I don't think I actually need that much sleep. Like, I think I'm good. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember it was about the third night. It was like the second night in the hospital. First night bringing them home. And you just realize, I haven't slept for a couple days now. Mm. And I'm not going to sleep for the foreseeable future. And I had, like, my first and only the first of two actual panic attacks ever. Mm scared the heck out of me because you feel like you're having a heart attack. I I don't know if you've ever had a panic attack before, but they're scary, you know? So yeah, I totally am with you where like becoming a parent, at least for me, it felt traumatic, I guess. And that sounds Mm kind of cushy because honestly, like people go through trauma that's way worse. And also, and also, you know. And people have had kids under way
1: worse circumstances. Not only they have,
0: but it's also such a normal thing. Like so many people have kids. Okay. I'm just saying for me in my life that it was a wake up call. Having no sleep and realizing, oh, like. If I don't get enough sleep, I start acting a little mad. Like I start acting a little loony, yeah. and I did. I mean, I had the panic attack, but that was only one symptom. I also just started acting weird, and I started getting even even like super short, like with my newborn kids to the right. point where I said, "You need to take this kid, Andrea, or I'm going to do something. I, I I don't know what I'm going to do. Yep. You know, right? And um, and that scares me to this day. Yeah, you know, it scares me that I was that biological i guess that there were just chemicals in my brain Mm -hmm. that when they were altered a little bit i became someone i barely recognized
1: Mm -hmm. but doesn't it also feel like you're seen by saying like this thing is it comes on you like a monster like yeah it infects you you become like somebody different and again credit to sc davis's performance she literally looks like a different person Mm -hmm. When she's in those moments, even before the Babadook, like when she just kind of screams, like, why can't you be normal? And like, those sorts of things. She, she, she is, she really transforms. Mm -hmm. And it's in her her voice. It's in her voice. It's the way her face is like carries herself. It's, it's fantastic.
0: I'm really hungry, mom. Why do you have to keep talk, talk, talking? Don't you ever stop? I I need to sleep. I'm sorry, mommy. I was just really hungry. If
1: you're that hungry, why don't you go and eat shit? So this movie is, I think, again, kind of nailing it, Mm -hmm. um, by personifying it. And granted hers is compounded by the grief and the trauma. Right. And that's a major part of it, but it's also exploring how you pass that on. And, another thing that really is probably too close to home is just the kid sees the monster before you do. Mm. And mm. she has brought the Duck into their life. Sort of like, you don't, you don't know that, but like, you've got like the fact that the book was already on the shelf and like, th- this was something that was in their house. It wasn't really a home invasion, you know? And, um, That is, I think, as your kids get older, and maybe around six and seven, and certainly, I mean, I see it too, that those moments where you did kind of snap, like, oh, that's how they're treating their sibling. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, no. Before you can get a handle on your own monster, you see your kid doing it. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of really insightful stuff happening that is really scary, yeah. As a parent.
0: Yeah. there There is, and even more insightful to that is the, I'll wager with you, I'll make you a bet, the more you deny, the stronger I get. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of this movie is not only just about seeing and acknowledging that this is something that is starting to become a problem, but that if you don't face it, if you don't actually try <laughs> to work it through, it's only going to get bigger. Mm-hmm. And it's only going to get scarier, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which is kind of what's happening. I mean, the mother... Amelia throughout most of the movie is just saying this doesn't exist. This monster does not exist.
1: But it, it it's also accurate with the way that that people can perceive grief and trauma, which is and maybe this is just my inclination and I'm I'm projecting and I haven't had the grief or the trauma that Amelia has, but when it comes to those negative feelings, I it's like I should be stronger than this. Like it's just that people have had it worse or like all those things that you deny your own need for that processing by denying the reality of your grief or of your trauma or of like the things that you, you kind of need to heal from. And um, so that added layer for Amelia, it's none of it's like spoken, like it's not heavy handed and she's like doing that, but, given the 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 completeness of the picture that's painted of her life with her son and her her feelings for her husband and just the way she kind of like melts into him when she does hug her husband in uh, the babadook as her husband or whatever that is um you can you get that sense of that sort of inner thought life so it's not just like the denying the behavior sort of thing but denying your need to heal or your mm-hmm. your need to deal with something right right and Another thing that that just compounds all of it, all the feelings is that the support networks that she should have to rely on her sister, yeah. the um, social workers, the school those are all agents of scrutiny for her. Those are more layers of judgmentalism on her life
0: oh yeah, i mean, and that's that's what that was something that I thought was another really insightful thing about the movie is that. Whatever safety net is supposed to be there is again, yeah, you know, usually mostly critical. You know, mm-hmm. they're kicking the kid out of school. Child services or whatever they call it in Australia mm-hmm. uh is 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 like coming. And and actually you, you kind of find out that they never really were being that scrutinizing. It doesn't no. seem, but that was definitely the perception. Right. You know. And then you've got like that scene of she's at the birthday party. And the way that
1: Kent shoots the four Mm -hmm. women just kind of bearing down on her. That's like one of the only times Amelia lashes out at somebody who's not her son. Yeah. Kids, stop. We just need to get back into it. That's all. It must be difficult. I do volunteer work with some disadvantaged women, and a few of them have lost their husbands, and they find it very hard. How's Richard's nature going? Oh, Good. I mean, his workload's just ballooned. I've got the kids 24-7, it feels like. Tell me about it. I don't even have time to go to the gym anymore. It's ridiculous. That's a real tragedy. Not having time to go to the gym anymore, how do you cope? You must have so much to talk about with those poor disadvantaged women. (laughs) There's there's a lot happening there because it is insensitive-ish on the part of that woman... To, to just move on so quickly. But at the same time, she wasn't directing that at Amelia, and she wasn't comparing it. Right. It was Amelia's like uncomfortableness with herself right. that makes her believe that everybody is saying something about her or to her. Or, or
0: Right, right. Which, is like a, which I think is kind of, you know, it almost makes you wonder if that was even the reality of the situation. The camera really makes it look like they're bearing down on her, mm-hmm. but it is just her perception. Right. That's how she sees the world. She sees the world as bearing down on her. And I also feel like another through line of this is that even her profession is one of intense emotional labor Yeah, where she's working in a nursing home. Emotional labor, the mental load, this was sort of the idea that was birthed by um, Arlie Russell Hochschild. Uh, back in the 80s, I think, she was mostly talking about people in like the uh, flight attendants mostly and mm. the level of work that's that they do can be just as tiring as manual labor or physical labor, but it's emotional labor. Mm. And I think that this is one of the few, you know, especially horror movies, but maybe even one of the few movies I've really shown that just really nails physical exhaustion that can come from work that doesn't have anything to do with physical labor. And I feel that as well because neither me or you are in jobs that deal with physical or physical or manual labor. You're a teacher, I'm a librarian. Right. It's another way in which I just feel what she's feeling when you're done dealing with people. You know, how you basically give of yourself to people over and over. That's part of your job. Part of your right. job is to just give of yourself emotionally and mentally. And so that's a part of this movie that I think can't be ignored either is that that's just another layer of exhaustion for her yeah. is and and it's another one that she just never, she she eventually gets a break from it, but by then it's way too late.
1: And she gets that time to herself and finally checks her phone and has had 10 calls from her sister. Like you see her finally kind of relax for a second and then... Right back into it.
0: And that's one of the things that just this movie, I just... just
1: turns the screws it, on you. It,
0: it does. It, it does sexually even. Like, she, she never even gets a moment. to re- yeah. Like, that's just, like, yeah, that's, a, that's an actual finish. moment of tension. Like, physical yeah. tension that never gets released, you know? Right. It's just turning those screws in every single way. Yeah. So then we should probably get to the Babadook, like the actual monster here. And I feel like I felt like this the first time I watched it where the Babadook itself was almost like a letdown to the actual tension that was going on. Hmm. Like the monster itself never really scared me as much as I felt like the intensity and the the level of tension and stress seemed to merit, you know?
1: That's funny. He really does creep me out. Really? Yeah, Yeah, it works on me. When she sees the Babadook in her neighbor's house, you know, um when he shows up in the old um uh, when he shows up in the old You Mel- almost sounded like a Baba Dug there. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I did. When he shows up in the old Meliers movies uh that that's she's cool. watching at night. Like I think that's cool. Yeah, but, it's you know. Yeah, I guess it didn't freak me out. Um
0: but I like that. Like, I like that sort of throwback to Melier and, and Cabinet yeah, Dr. And Caligari that, yeah, and silent movies. Yeah, yeah, he looks like you he, know.
1: kind of a silent movie sort of thing. Yeah. And when he just, like, moves from the kitchen. That and, one creeped in and out me out. i the I'll shadows. Give you that. Yeah.
0: But I guess one of the scariest scenes for me in the movie that works is just when she's watching TV and the news report comes on about the child being murdered yeah. and she just sees herself in the window.
1: Mm-hmm. Police say the woman used a kitchen knife to stab her son. His body was found in their basement. The woman later attacked officers with the knife. They drew their guns and shot her to death. Little is known about the tragedy, but neighbors say the boy was celebrating his birthday today. He had just turned seven.
0: Does the Babadook even need to be here? Hmm. To me, the, the, the tension and the horror is already there. And then the Babadook kind of does just become this mm. metaphorical thing. And then to me, the metaphor was a little bit of a letdown because here's the thing with the Babadook: let's take all the metaphors away and let's take all the, like, what is the idea behind the Babadook as far as a monster? Like, how does it work? Like, mm-hmm. I, I can understand how Freddy Krueger works. I can understand how the Frankenstein's monster works. Like, I don't understand the idea behind the Babadook. Like, what's he want? Does it want to eat them? Does it want them to kill them for what? Does it need it? Does it like? What is the? I don't understand. Still, like what the purpose is of the Babadook as a monster? Like what's its goal? What does it want? And also like, how is it defeated? How is it, you know, you're supposed to face it down. She kind of throws it up and I would be like, okay, so that, that should be it. Right. But no, it's not. But why isn't it? I don't know why it just isn't. Well, because, (laughs) yeah, I mean. I mean, because I just threw a lot out there, but the, yeah. the general idea is I don't know that I quite understand the rules and laws of this monster, I guess. Well,
1: I think that's part of it is that it doesn't want anything and it won't be satisfied by anything, that it's it's going to be there. And what what is, it, what is the first line in the book? If it's in a word or in a look, you can't get rid of the Babadook? Yeah. And that's like the first manifestations of it are in the way she looks at her son and the way she speaks to her son. And the way that they speak to each other, too. Because there's times where her kid is really creepy and dangerous, too. Um, I guess, like, you can't really separate it from the metaphor. Because what does grief want? What does trauma want? You know? And, like, what does exhaustion want? They don't want anything. They are there. And we can let them in and really infect us. Or we can, like, uh, you know... But then I don't want to say like keep it in the basement, but like know that it's there, know that it has its place, and know or tell it that it doesn't have control over you. Do we need it to tell us how to deal with our grief, or you well, know, like can't, those things? Really.
0: Right. I mean, it's not you, and, can, you can't have like a single movie become the end-all, be-all therapy session for right. you know.
1: <laughs> but um, it's it's like the way she dealt with it was she celebrate. She got to a place where she could celebrate her son's birthday on the day and. They both collected worms to like kind of care for the Babadook, right? Like, (laughs) and I think it's important that the kids saw the Babadook and then now he doesn't, she, she kept saying it's not real, but he was like, I see it. And now it's, yes, it's real. No, you can't see it. That acknowledging of it, that sort of like dealing with it, that this is a bad part of me. When I feel this way, I tend to act this way, but you aren't crazy, for thinking that I, I I treated you badly, you know, yeah, and, and you'll 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 deal with your own, Bob. You'll see it when you're older. So in that sense, maybe that's why like critics felt like this was such a breath of fresh air because it it was a monster that didn't have an explanation and didn't need a contrived explanation for its motives or for anything because it was fully this sort of unsatisfiable, un, un, undesiring thing. Yeah.
0: Well, then I think what would have been. For me, what confused me, I guess, a little bit is that, and I don't need an origin story, mm. but Jennifer Kent, you know, she is introducing this monster through a storybook. What's the significance of that? I don't really know. And I don't. I almost feel like it's sort of a contrived thing because you could have just had it been sort of like The Conjuring. It's just like, it's just there. Mm-hmm. Like this monster just appears. But it seems to have this kind of apparatus to it. Like it comes through this storybook and the storybook can't be destroyed. And that makes it seem like it is sort of like this monster that has a definite like purpose and you know, mm. it comes from something and it's not there one day and then it is there today. And the reason it's there is because of this book. Mm-hmm. Why? That book has nothing to do with anything really.
1: But as far as like the, the story book and where does that come from? Who who put it there? Whatever it's to me. And this might be just me. So um, I, I teach the book beloved. I love the book beloved. Yeah. And, that is a haunted house story. That's a ghost story. The metaphor being that America is a haunted house by its own ghosts and and the ghosts of the people that it has killed and that sort of thing. But a major uh, part of that book, that novel, is um, the story we pass on. And we pass on the story of trauma, whether we tell the story of trauma or not. And so the fact that it's a Book that she is reading to her son is metaphorically really strong, I think. That this is a narrative we pass on our stories to our children. Hmm. And if that story is one like the Babadook of unprocessed grief, of unacknowledged um, pain, to of the point where you wish you were dead, right? Yeah, of unsupported <laughs> people. Like, if that's the story we're passing on, then this is then this is what's going to happen. And the fact that the book kind of tells the future, like, it's going to be death for the kid, death for the dog, death for you, um, whether that's literal or metaphorical, is, I think, significant. And the fact that the book has empty pages that then continue mm. to get written based on choices she makes— it doesn't need to have some place that it comes from because it's just sort of that passing on of things that the Babadook is something that you let into your life. And once it's in your life, it tells your story and you pass that story on that. What you, what you don't deal with in yourself becomes something that your kids mm. don't deal with in their cell themselves. That's a super scary thought. It is. Yeah. But the processing of it through the idea of a horror movie and almost, like I said earlier, you feel seen like, you feel like your life is a horror movie at times because you scare yourself. Hmm. You are not wrong for seeing that. Here's a horror movie that's, that, that sees that too. <laughs> right, right. Even, uh, and then even more so if you have the grief and you have the trauma that she has or something similar. For people like you and I who don't have those depths of grief yet, it might feel a little bit disingenuous or simpler like kind of comparing our lack of time at the gym to real trauma. Sure, Yeah. But to say that, like, even if you're just afraid that you're passing your negative traits on to your kid, that is a scary enough thought right. to fill a horror movie. Yeah.
0: Where did you get those firecrackers? You got them for me on the internet. Well,
1: that's the end of the internet. If the Bubba Duck was real, we'd see it right now, wouldn't we? It wants to scare you first, then you'll see it. Well, I'm not scared. You will be when it creeps into your room at night. That's a... Ruby, when it eats your inside. I decided you're not having your birthday with Ruby this week. No cake, no games.
0: That's the end of it. What I was wondering as I was watching this is, is this kid actually as bratty and terrible mm-hmm. as he's being portrayed? Because he's, in the first half of the movie, he is awful. Unbearable. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I don't know if it's a strength or weakness of the movie, but I find that like by the end, he's genuinely just not as awful anymore. Right. And is that something that's just sort of like convenient for the movie to work? Or is that something that's intentionally happening where she's seeing him as not as awful of a kid anymore?
1: Yeah, well, so I wonder if his like switch kind of halfway through isn't just convenient. If it's more that she realizes that the kid isn't a monster for seeing the monster. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because he says like, I'll protect you he's really fighting for her. Mm -hmm. Like the kid sees things clearly. He saw the monster before she did. And he's kind of speaking to her fears. Like you aren't pushing me away. He was acting the way he was acting because he's a child and was seeing and dealing with stuff from her that uh, like, if we're kind of going to break down the metaphor, he was like not actually seeing the monster, but he was seeing the effects of her grief of her shame of all that stuff. And so you can't fault a kid for acting that way. He, he wasn't being fully loved and accepted and he was feeling that and he was acting out. And I think the truth about our children is that they're acting out, they're irritating behavior, all that stuff. It isn't at all them saying they don't want us where they don't need us. Like it's like right. I do need you. I do want you. I won't leave you. I need to know you won't leave me. I'll protect you. I need to know you'll protect me. So it in in a sense it feels like a very real from like a almost psychology or child development standpoint, a very real movement in his character. Well, I thought, I wanted to get into a little bit like just the mechanics of the movie. Yeah. If you've uh, kind of got an old creepy house, maybe don't paint everything black. <laughs> The whole,
0: the whole thing kind of has like a bluish grayish.
1: But also just black too. Yeah. Like the trim is black. Black comes up a lot in this movie. Like everybody wears black. Amelia wears pink. Like she wears like a pink dress to work and she wears a pink dress under a, like a black sweater or something at the birthday party. But everybody else is wearing the colors of her house. And I wasn't sure what to make of that uh, is that just to kind of like, she feels more isolated that she feels more like scrutinized because everybody seems to be in on the scrutiny together that like, even the people at the school were wearing black and gray, the people, when they come to visit the house are wearing black and gray. Is it just that like her, her against the world sort of feeling?
0: Yeah. Or, you know, kind of like that. you know, like what you're saying is that the grief she's dealing with has in a very real way tinted the world that she sees, you know, Mm -hmm. that could be one way of looking at it. Obviously there was, you know, thought put into wardrobe, things like that. But I also don't know how much of it is just, this is going to give the movie a creepy vibe. Right. And how much of it is like, no, this really needs to symbolize something.
1: Right. You know? And I think like the way that she films the house, there are times where it's just silently filming different parts of the house. Not quite like found footage, but certainly inviting that sort of like is something going to come out of the corner yeah. of the, the frame every shot
0: is really well composed in this movie and i do think that for better or worse whether i end up li- liking this movie or not liking it i mean i understand it as like a very like well cra- it's a well crafted horror film like jennifer yeah. kent knows how to do these shots how to pull the psychology out of it in every way i watched this movie with headphones i did too Really? Yeah. And the sound design is... I think it made it scarier for me. For sure, it does. And I mean, I don't know if it'll come through in the clip when we play it at the beginning, but that storybook scene has like a weird, high-pitched, staticky noise that's only there when they're reading the book. And then when the the camera cuts away from the book and goes back to just sort of a, a shot of the mother reading it to the child and you're not seeing the book that staticky sound goes away. And then it picks back up when she goes back into the book and gets louder and louder and louder. So even sound design-wise, I mean, you've got all the tricks of the trade, I guess, are there.
1: Yeah, and it is sort of a more old-school sort of feel. Like, when the Babadook shows up in the Melies movies, it's it's not just, you know, kind of a cool thing, but it's also connecting to the, the aesthetic of the movie. Like... You know, one of the scariest scenes was the Babadook just coming. And that was obviously either a dummy or a person just on a dolly that they were the ro- floating. Scene, yeah, yeah. They yeah. just rolled towards the camera. And even when, like, the Babadook is on the ceiling, that's a lo fi, really glitchy, but not CGI. Mm-hmm. It adds a, a really unsettling quality because if something is completely fabricated reality like CGI, that feels different from altered reality of filming something and, and, and messing with it. Yeah. And the Babadook never manifests itself in the same way. You know, like there isn't a predictability that, oh he's going to be on the ceiling. Oh, he's coming from the closet. He could come from the hallway. He could come from downstairs. He could just float out of the shadows, Right. you know? And again, metaphorically, that's really important that you don't know where it's going to come from. It could trigger it in different ways. It could happen, you know? So they don't rely on like one trick. They don't rely on one thing to. Often, so it it again really well crafted. It keeps you on your toes. It keeps mm-hmm. you unsettled because you don't know how it's going to happen. But it never conventionally scares you. It's never like around the corner. It's never in the mirror when you, they close the mirror right, or anything. Right. Like it's kind of unstoppable and irresistible in the way it moves or appears. I don't know what it is about it that
0: the Babadook itself. I just don't find it that scary. I don't mm. know, like the look of it. Maybe it's the top hat, maybe I think it's just too goofy. I don't know. So it, I don't know that the the character of the Boba Duck ever intrigued me as much as a lot of the other sort of classic horror movie monsters um have. Were you aware at all that the Boba Duck has become like a gay icon?
1: Um well, yeah, just because Netflix accidentally put it as an LGBTQ like under that heading and then it kind of became Yeah. But I don't,
0: but now it's like official like there's been like full wearing like
1: pride shirts right like the babadook wearing a like there's a, that but like there's rainbow shirt. there's
0: that but there's also if you go to pride parades and stuff people there are people they who dress will like dress
1: up babadook? like the babadook and
0: you can read there's like a new yorker article maybe i'll maybe i'll link to it in huh. the um but and, and actually there's a couple like i i basically had just to do research for this i just put babadook articles in it you do that, and the first like ten that come up are like how the Babadook became a guy, yeah. uh, gay icon. What, an article from the Guardian, the New Yorker, like hmm. Vanity Fair—they all have articles about the Babadook as a legitimate LGBTQ icon, and it started as a tongue-in-cheek thing because of that Netflix thing, which actually some people think that, that original meme was actually like Photoshop to begin with. Mm. Netflix LGBTQ recommendations and the Babadook was in there and someone screenshotted it and put it on their Tumblr. And it kind of took on a life of its own where almost as a joke, people within the community were saying, like trying to make draw these lines of how the Babadook really how was. was yeah. But then the more they did it, <laughs> the more they kind of felt like, yeah, eh, it kind of is. In fact, that line I quoted earlier, the I'll I'll wager with you, I'll make you a bet, the more you deny, the stronger I get. A lot of people are like, that sounds like it could have been a Lady Gaga sound lyric, yeah. you know. <laughs> and actually, at this point, Jennifer Kent has even acknowledged that this is a thing and uh and has basically been like, I'm cool with that. Definitely was not the intention, <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah. Well that works. That's interesting. Good for the good for the Babadook. I guess so. It's got a life of its own at this point. You yeah, know?
1: which is scary. <laughs> Um, so are, are we, are we, uh, is it complicated? Is there a mutual understanding? I don't know. I don't know that we agree necessarily, but I mean, I don't probably a no. mutual
0: understanding. Okay. Here, here's the thing is like, I, I could say this was just not the right time for me to watch this. Like 2020, when my kids are six, turning seven tomorrow. Yeah. Not the best time to watch The Babadook. Didn't, right. didn't give me what I was looking for out of a horror movie. Like,
1: But you also didn't really, it didn't do anything for you back when you first saw it either. Exactly. So I'm
0: not going to say that maybe i'd revisit it later and i'd like it more i just don't think that's going to happen i think what i've gotten out of it is probably what i'm going to get out of it but i think this discussion has yeah. been super fruitful I, that's what, yeah and i will acknowledge it's dealing with things that not a lot of horror movies deal with
1: and committing to that idea more than it is to the horror right genre maybe it's something that's
0: just inherently going to be a type of horror that i'm just not
1: into maybe we know? just need a director's cut top hatless <laughs> Duke and you're you're all right, in.
0: Right. Yeah. It's the top hat. That's what it that's is. Spooky. That's
1: that's what it is. Duke with the mohawk. <laughs> I'd be afraid of that. Yeah. Yeah. I I I I'm I'm actually very much with you on that. Like I would I defend the movie? Not really. Like I'm not gonna I'm not I'm not offended. I don't I it's not like I don't understand what you're saying about like yeah. enjoying the movie. Um. Will I see it again? Probably not. But was this conversation really interesting to me? At least, sure. Yeah. Hopefully to you to listeners. Me, no, but our story. As, I, as always. So the, then, the reason I won't abandon the movie though is because I don't think that we were totally outside the movie. Like we were, like, oh, we just ended up having a talk, a conversation about parenthood. Like, I think the movie does have all of that honesty it does. in there. Yeah. I think there's an honesty and an insight that is present in this movie because it was written and directed by a woman she has lived through or has seen or at least is able to acknowledge the truths that are present in this movie that um you can't i mean of course can't speculate about whether a man directed this what would happen but i think the fact that um she brings the insight that she does bring is significant and it's there Mm -hmm. it's not just me like reading into it in order to defend this movie So are you dropping it to three? Is that that where you're going with it? It almost doesn't really matter.
0: I'll keep it at three and a half. That's what I had it
1: as originally. I think that um,
0: my rewatch at least helped me to understand a little bit more of what that metaphor was doing with the Babadook. I, I just feel there's something about the actual character of the Babadook I find kind of lame.
1: I don't know. I I I like this movie. I think uh, I think it's actually after tonight more meaningful to me than sure. it was before. Yeah. So you sticking with you doing four? Yeah, I'm sticking with four.
0: I think we've got sort of a, a mutual understanding. I think you do just enjoy this movie more than I do. But uh, I I did definitely enjoy the conversation. Yeah, me too.
1: Well. <sighs> Let's talk about the next time, right? I, I, this, we, conversa- we this
0: conversation was so great, I can barely even wait for the next one. We, we're not even is... going to stop.
1: We usually take a break <laughs> and sometimes take an hour to think about the movie <laughs> we're going to watch. But we are ready. We're going right in. Let's talk there about There is it. no edit happening here. You're not hearing a cut. No mm, cut. Yeah. All right. Next month is November. And last year... It's not just November. I know. Last year we started... A tradition. The tradition of... November is going to be our t giving yes episode giving thanks for the hanks giving thanks for t hanks
0: we started the tradition last yeah. year which means we was, couldn't just not do it this no, year we are we are, have to
1: do it we're superstitious creatures of habit and i just want to say it's a great idea it, it definitely it's a is a great idea for november we're going to just celebrate a national treasure and tom hanks and tom hanks and I'm guessing that our enthusiasm for the wholesomeness of Tom Hanks is going to seem flippant and irresponsible once November 3rd happens. Mm-hmm. The world could
0: be on fire literally by the time we record our T. Hanksgiving episode. I mean, the
1: fact that people are seriously mentioning Civil War is yeah. scary, and i it's bringing me down right now.
0: No, I, we don't got to go there.
1: We don't have to go we there. We don't have to
0: go there because... The Hanks is... It could be the anecdote. Oh, the antidote, you mean? Antidote. Which one's which? Well, anecdote is a story. That's right. Antidote the, is a cure. The Hanks will be the anecdote everybody that needs to be the... An that serves as the antidote uh, for the
1: impending that's civil what, war. That's what you meant. So this is a, a, a T. Hanks movie that I haven't seen. We're going to do 1992... Directed by Penny Marshall, A League of Their Own. I can't believe you've never seen this movie. Uh, That movie came out at a time when my family was buying into a lot of really overblown uh, anti-media. And anything with Madonna was almost certainly going to (laughs) um, send us to hell. I went to a very small, very conservative Christian elementary school. And I was talking about a movie I liked. I don't know, Hook? Hook? And they were like, we don't watch movies because that money goes straight to Madonna. <laughs> All of it? All money. All money. Movie. Man.
0: Well, maybe. What kind of contract did she get? <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a good one. But, you know, right. I mean, That's I guess smart lady. if you think about it, though, I mean, that, I guess, could have been true in 92. Madonna was just. Box office was just, I mean, this is like the age of like Vogue. <laughs> yeah. This she is was true. Like, she was like doing Dick Tracy. Right. And she was putting out that like sex book. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, I could definitely see where you could draw the lines and be like, she's getting all that money. It's funny not to even think of that movie as a Madonna movie. I would never characterize a League of Their Own as like that Madonna Madonna vehicle.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, watch it with us. We are not going to watch it through the lens of 1992 conservative Christianity, though. (laughs) We're not going to sully our celebration of the Hanks. That's probably one of my Babadooks. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah, you can't deny it. it's just going to keep growing. So. Yeah,
1: I, after last year's uh, T. Hanks giving, listened and said, "I didn't know you liked Tom Hanks that much." <laughs> and I was like, "I'm not sure I knew I liked no, Tom, Tom Hanks yeah. that much." But once you start appreciating Tom Hanks, there's there's, there's no, there's going no back. reason to stop. There's no going back. I mean, just everything everything about the guy. Mm-hmm. He still types. He On loves typewriters. typewriters. He signs all his tweets. Hanks? H-A-N-X? And I love that, too. That's the makings of an icon right there. Yeah. Uh,
0: anyway, enough about Hanks. No, no, not enough about Hanks. All right, well... well we're going to continue it. we got to
1: save it, even, save though, it. Uh, even though that well never runs dry. No,
0: this isn't a matter of uh, rationing. Mm? No. This is a matter of, we've got to eventually end this episode. That's true. <laughs> we, we can't, can't just, just keep, keep going into November.
1: <laughs> right. Into T-Hanksgiving. Well... Why don't you guys let us know what you appreciate about Tom Hanks? Drop some anecdotes. The last year, I think the internet has fallen in love with Keanu Reeves, and there's a lot of, like, Keanu Reeves is so wholesome kind of, like, list things. That's fine. I I, I really do like them. Keanu Reeves seems like a great guy, but we, uh, you know... He doesn't have the canon of Tom Hanks, though. No, he doesn't. Not at all. But, uh, yeah, maybe we'll do a Facebook post about, like, everybody's posting about Keanu Reeves, only true... Uh, truly brave people will post about Tom Hanks right share if you agree I like that just real belligerent yeah kinda. it's kind of like using the Hanks
0: in a belligerent way yeah that everyone's using social media for right now
1: yeah but at the end of the day it's Tom Hanks yeah it, it outweighs the belligerent
0: and who's gonna fight you on it Keanu Reeves maybe no he's, he's not really going. wholesome I've seen, is, yeah. I've seen so many lists he's not gonna do that yeah Keanu Reeves and Tom Hanks they've never done a movie together
1: not that I can think it, of. W- Nobody who works on that movie would work on another movie because everything else would be like hell. Or they would f- their, their their wholesomeness like they wouldn't want it to be, but it would end up being a game of like one-upsmanship. Oh, you bought uh, the whole crew lunch. <laughs> I I I bought them all Vespas
0: and uh, also gave more parenting advice. Yeah. My point is with with that movie, if they were in a movie together, yeah. They wouldn't need to release the movie because all I would want to see is the special features of the movie, of the crew talking about how amazing yeah. it was working with Keanu Reeves and Tom Hanks on the same set. Yeah. And you wouldn't need to see the movie. You'd no. be, you're, you're, your heart would be warmed yeah. by just the stories and the anecdotes mm-hmm. of what it was like.
1: Mm-hmm. You know what? I think we should write that movie because nobody. it doesn't matter what the script is. We just need to get a production together. You don't even need to have a title. No, it's, it's just it's the, the it's Tom Hanks... That's Tom Hanks movies don't have titles anymore. They just are a description of his character. Right. Captain Phillips. Right. Sully. Right. The, the Mr. Rogers movie. This is the character. Yeah. And it's Tom Hanks. Yeah. And it's good. That's, it's good because of that. Yeah. Wow. New Tom Hanks movie is all we have to call it. Co-starring Keanu Reeves.
0: Perfect i'll get on that but we're going back to this is earlier hanks earlier uh league of their own so watch it with us let us know what you think where does this stack up with the hanks you don't have to say you know you don't really have to try to rank them no good luck good luck trying to rank that but but you can at least say in in my estimation this is kind of where league of their own stacks up yeah you know
1: yeah i guess how how warm is your heart it's like a it's like a temperature gauge really right
0: yeah my boiling hot heart for a league of their own
1: yeah we don't have a we don't have a scale out or there. Is you it, name or it? You is it? More of a more of a simmer. Um, is this a is this a sun, afternoon sunlight in in a in a, in a in a picture window in your reading nook kind of warm or is it uh, the the heat from 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 your morning cup of coffee? Okay,
0: so how so how how are you going to let us know about this? Let's talk about that. Yeah. So
1: you can do a couple things. You
0: can email us. The email address is feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. Our website is canwestillbefriends.net. And that's where you can go and uh, dig through all of our archives. 86 episodes worth of stuff. Which you can comment directly on the website if you want. We also have the social media thing going on. Uh, at least for now. I watched The Social Dilemma last night. So now I'm wondering oof, if yeah, uh, now I'm wondering if I need to just cut it all out. Yikes, but, uh,
1: yikes. They know us. But we knew that. But we are on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, the TheEvilFacebook.com. Can We Still Be Friends podcast. Right. And we, being part of that, are just
0: as evil by being on it we're even evil enough to be on instagram right. as well so follow us on instagram on that evil platform instagram.com slash can we still be friends pod
1: you can also re- record a voice message and, and send it to us through the email address we gave you or you can call us and leave a voicemail
0: yeah give us a call anytime the number to call is 847-306-9532 you might just want to go ahead and put that in your phone as a as a as a favorite yeah as always Operator is standing by. That's right. Still, our operator, not so much like Tom Hanks, I would say. I think the only reason that we didn't fire our operator is because of that. We were scared. So give us a call. Our operator is standing by. Well, actually, now our operator is pacing. Wow. Our operator is aggressively standing near us. Wearing a mask, though. Thank you. Thank you. Actually, if you could call right now because we could really he needs something the, the, to do. the operator needs to go pick up the phone right now so please take care of us all right that was
1: tense but uh thank you for listening appreciate uh, it a, a, oh a joyous
0: yes holiday spooktacular Have the most wondrous spooktacular ever it's the most
1: wonderful time of the year
0: and make sure that uh when you're doing your tricking you also give yourself a nice treat yeah it's trick or treat but why not trick and treat
1: that Do is both. the kind of groundbreaking thinking that you will consistently hear here at right. Can We Still Be right. Friends. The Boolean operator switch of trick or treat. Right, yeah. To trick and treat, both. If, if they are tricking and or
0: treating in your neighborhood. Right, right, right. We're not going to assume that. So if they're not, stay safe.
1: safe. Yeah. Wear a mask under your mask. And uh, enjoy the season. That sounds like a good note to end on. It would have been, yeah. So uh,
0: we're going to do <laughs> that. why end there? <laughs> why not
1: just keep talking? So enjoy your uh, spectacular We'll see everybody for tea Thanksgiving
0: and uh, we'll be ready to give some thanks.